This is Amalia Eon Karras. Hey everyone, it's Satya, and you're listening to Love, Love Sex, Sex and, and the Hidden, Hidden Agenda. Agenda. Okay, so you leave your husband, you're divorcing your husband, you're in India. I don't even know. At this point, you've been there for a year. I mean, where where did you go? And how do people even treat woman who's divorced or it was bad. I mean, you were <laughs> was bad he story. was your whole he was my life. everything at that point. Like my yeah. everything. Because he came into my life when my dad died and when I had my massive awakening and through oh. Through my whole awakening experience, waking up to all these dimensions and having this kundalini raging through my body, I, I ended up having to walk away from all of my blood relatives and my friends, um, the place where I was born everywhere because I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't function around that much toxicity. Like there, I was receiving too much information. I was in meditative states, like eight, nine hours a day. And he was the only one I felt safe with because he was the only one who understood what was happening to me because, you know, he grew up in a lineage of tantrics who honor the experience. And he, he understood to enough of a Mm. degree and he was going through his own awakening um, that we just became these allies um, tuning ourselves and, you know, who else is going to meditate with me for eight hours a day? So when we went uh, to India... Wait, can I, I just say something? And also, I mean, for for a, a woman, especially, I feel like to have a man who can navigate waters like that with her and, and be in, in that kind of, like, understand her feelings and understand you to that degree, I mean... I'm imagining, you know, I can feel how uh, just yeah, everything he, had, he went through. Like he had deep, deep reverence for the feminine wisdom. Like he understood it. He worshipped it in the way that he understood the wisdom in it. And um, you know, he I mean, and he was in a he was married to you for five years in a celibate way as well, or something. Yes, right? yeah, we'd been together for five years and all of that time we were navigating some incredible experiences, like totally, you know, life altering experiences. And so moving to India, we were both hoping to like be closer to the motherland and be around other, um, you know, spiritual teachers that could help us navigate this stuff. But when we got to India, he became more of a business person and, I went into farming, like just the role, the role reversal was pretty dramatic. And I felt like I didn't know who he was in India. Cause you know, we change personalities when we live in different countries because land, the land and the people and 
it brings yeah. out a different aspect of us. And I left him after a year of being there with him, but I, I stayed in India because I had nothing else. Like I had moved um, all of my money into Indian banks. I had moved everything I owned or sold it um, to India. So there was nothing for me back in the States. And I had started doing really purposeful work in India, working with farmers and doing organic farming. And I was working also with um, spiritual leaders there and really tuning my gifts. So I didn't have any interest to, to leave India, but any sane person would have <laughs> because it was completely nuts. I mean, a single woman white living alone in her mid thirties without children is basically a whore in their eyes. Doesn't matter the fact that I had been celibate for five years and was living like a nun. Um, they treated me like I was an outcast, even though he's the top cast. So mm. I was married to the top cast, but nobody leaves a top cast. So divorce in India is really frowned upon. Like a divorcee is an outcast. Um, wow, that's worse than frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah. It's an outcast. You're you're basically like, it doesn't matter if you're being beaten or whatever, you should stay in that marriage. Like women don't have the same rights, but there was no way that, and so he, he was kind of in shock that I was leaving him also. Like for him, it was like, how could you leave me? Like, that's not going to happen. I'm like, no, no, it's happening. Like I would rather live alone than live with you and feel disrespected. Um, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. because that small turn of him having the, this affair, like it wasn't that he was having an affair. That's, that's like the wrong thing to call it. He fell in love with someone. I was totally fine with him falling in love with someone or even sleeping with someone else. The problem was I felt disrespected. I felt like I wasn't being honored with my needs and I didn't feel safe in my own home. And I had already, I started realizing like there was this level of oppression over me. Like I felt owned by him. Like mm. I wanted to go get a farm up in the Nilgiri mountains and he only would let me get a farm in Mysore because if I was in the Nilgiris, it was too far for him, but it was going to be closer. I was like, what? So I, I had to leave and go do what I wanted to do in a country that is so, so repressed for female um, uh, independence. Like female independence doesn't really exist in India because it's, it's dangerous. Any. Like women yeah. do not, live alone or operate without a family because they're not safe. Um, so I just got, I had four dogs already. So it was wow. me and my four dogs. Um, and it was a really wild life. I mean, I realized I had changed the way I dressed when we lived in America because of the attack I had. And he said, I dressed too sexy. Then I started dressing very conservatively. And then being in India, it was very dangerous to dress anything but Indian salvar kameez. So I was always mm. dressed in the, you know, the kurta tops and those pants, you know, I never mm -hmm. showed skin. And then I always covered my hair even because I didn't want anyone to know I was a foreigner from far away. And, um, you know, I dressed, I, I changed the way I spoke because he didn't like when he met me that I, I swore so much. <laughs> so I <laughs> removed the F word and I started speaking more. I felt like I went through finishing school being with him because 
he was from such a high caste that I had to learn how to be a proper lady when I was my in goodness. and I'm just not used to that. I've always lived on my own. I'm a, I'm a bit rough around the edges and um, <laughs> I really had to polish myself up to sit with his family and the people, the upper caste of India expect a certain level of diplomacy and conduct, right? With how women are meant to be. Uh, like I used to have my hair kind of, I don't know. I always did like the messy style and his mom would be like, can you brush your hair? I'm like, no, I don't brush my hair. Like I'm into this look. You know? <laughs> like, right. Wow. Look, you know, the sort of beach tossed look that doesn't fly there. Mm-hmm. You have to pull, you can't even wear your hair open, by the way, you have to pull it back. If you wear your hair down, it means you're like a loose woman. So you have to tie it Uh-oh. up. It has to be in a braid or pulled. <laughs> off your face. Um, and um, I think it, I wore mine down when I was there. Oh, yeah. Yes. And it was blonde, blonde, blonde at that point. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No wonder they were trying to touch me. And exactly. Because it's and if you wear lipstick in India and you look a man in the eyes, you're a prostitute. So oh, that's my. like every foreign woman because we're taught to make eye contact. I mean, I make eye contact so that I can tell if I can trust someone. But you're yeah. not to look in the eyes of men in Asian countries. Women should uh, not make eye contact with men. It's like too, you're making a move on them. You're like flirting with them and, and provoking them if you look at their eyes. Oh, for goodness sakes. I probably should have had a training on that before I went over there. But anyway, so I'm, you're, you're there and you're, you're basically broken hearted. You're, oh, I was you, broken. you felt like you're, you're, broken. you'd lost everything, had nothing. Like basically you felt like your life was over, but mm-hmm. from what you're saying now, it sounds like later you started to piece together. Wait a second. I mean, if you had to go through all those changes, Mm-hmm. And I mean, that didn't, I mean, so you thought your life was over and then, then what happened? Well, I was, I was in such a devastating mess that there was no way I was going to go back to the States like that because oh yeah, no, I didn't know who would receive me. I didn't feel like I could start over in the U.S. I was in such an altered, you know, by this point I had been living five years with my gifts of seeing on full blast. So I saw multiple dimensions all day long and I, I was starting to control it, but actually the anger helped me to, um, I think it was really like the final purification because when, when someone has a Kundalini awakening, you have to clear all of your, your channels. That's why I wasn't having sex because I saw that I had a bunch of trauma in my second chakra, which I've spoken about in other podcasts. But when the energy starts moving into the different um, energy centers in your body, whatever traumas are unhealed it gets activated. So I was in this massive purification mode at that point for five years. And then this thing happens and it's triggering like my deepest wound of abandonment and betrayal, which is goes back not only to my birth family, but then many past lives of having this same feeling of deep betrayal from those 
who I'm supposed to trust, who mm-hmm. you know I've left my care to, or you know, as a child in this lifetime, you know, my parents who didn't um, protect me from all of the harm that came to me as a kid and, right. and feeling abandoned and all of that. So I was here, I was in my mid thirties feeling like fully abandoned and lost and confused. And I'm in this ancient landscape where I was having so much memory of many different lifetimes I've had in India and working with the spiritual master. I mean, they, recognize me. I would go places and they would tell me who I was from a past life. It was crazy. And I I was getting all this confirmation from from these gurus, um, people who could see like I could through timelines and confirm with me. And I was finally getting the validation that I had been seeking. Hmm. So when I left him, I was it opened me up to all the, you know, I had no friends. I knew nobody. And now I was alone exploring and meeting people and I was taken to the right people. And I opened all these opportunities that if I was married with him and still had the farm, I would never have. You had to be hanging out with his people. Yes. And um, so I was no longer isolated when I left him. I was out Mm -hmm. in the world and I, and I had to fend for myself, but it strengthened me and it it really shaped everything. And then working with the gurus that I was meeting, um, who I became business partners with, and then they were telling me from, from all the activations that I had had and all the information I had, and they were the ones giving me the mics and really encouraging me to start teaching and sharing and um, validating me and then their followers were validating me. So I started my speaking career and my teaching um, from being there in India with them. So it, even though it was like such a dark night, like going through that whole experience with um, that woman, she, mm-hmm. I, you know, it took me a couple years to admit it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. after like the second year, I realized that she was the teacher that made me really face that deep, dark wound, that mother wound, the female wound, the, mm. the sisterhood, the break in the sisterhood that was so painful for me. And mm-hmm. I had to pass through the gates of my own hell, basically, to get wow. to the other side. And I was telling you in the last episode that I saw red for a year. I can't I, believe that. I literally, like I would wake up and this, everything was red. And I was like, oh my God, the anger has, is piercing my eyes. And every people who looked at me, I mean, they would call me Kali. I mean, they were scared. <gasps> people were scared. I was angry. Like, you know, when you meet angry people, like those road rage people. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a kind of anger. And I, um, I, I didn't know how to pacify it. And so mm-hmm. I just started meditating uh, a lot, like every single day for a year, I would sit at my altar and I would pray to Kali and I would ask her to, to show me how to purify, how to digest the rage because the mm-hmm. rage, I knew it was way beyond this girl who wore the red dress, and the red lipstick, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was way beyond that. It was from timelines and uh, 
dimensions and within me and festering wounds that needed to be purged. And I think it was about four years after that, that I got jaundice while being in India. And that was a huge um, cleansing. And it was after I healed from a year of jaundice that I finally felt like I had um, purified the majority of the anger that I was carrying. But yeah, it was... Oh, and jaundice. Well, I mean, for just yeah. as far as mind, body, spirit, you know, uh, medicine goes, the liver is connected to anger, the feelings of anger and frustration. And, you know, and they say, you know, if, if in life you're experiencing a lot of frustration and anger and irritability that you should probably do a liver cleanse. <laughs> yeah. Cause we store it all there. <laughs> yeah. So the liver stores that in Chinese medicine and, um, acupuncturists, I mean that, you know, it's, it's a well-known thing, but yeah. Cause for a second I thought jaundice, wait, how is that connected? Wait, what? But jaundice is connected to the liver, obviously. So. Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, I, yeah, that is, thank goodness you, you were able to move through all that and actually see the red because otherwise you, you might've just squished all that, um, bypassed it. Um, God knows what you would have done then, but instead you, you transmuted into this I mean, this started your whole entire spiritual teaching thing, right? Yeah, it was the initiation. And I think, you know, for people who understand, you know, what the dark night of the soul is, it, this was a big dark night and it lasted a good a good year. There was a whole year where I saw red, like I was seeing red for like a year. I could not function. I, I started smoking pot again. Like I hadn't smoked pot probably for at that point, maybe like five years. And I started needing to smoke pot. And I was wondering like, wow, you know, I had had, I was in this like Buddha illuminated state of purity. I was doing yoga hours a day. I was meditating hours a day. I was in this heightened awareness, blissed out state. And now all I see is red. And the only way I can function or even get out of bed is um, to smoke and take the edge off. And then I realized mm. because I had smoked pot when I was a teenager, um, when my parents got divorced, when I was being, you know, stalked at school and had a lot of things, bad things had been happening to me. I was escaping. Um, with, I never drank alcohol, but pot would take the edge off and yeah. allow me to like just – not think about, you know, not process or be in this state of fear and fight or flight thing. It's interesting you say that. This is just kind of a weird little thing on the side, I'll say. But um, in in my years of working with a lot of um, addictions, um, mm -hmm. I would always notice that the people who specifically had anger or rage would specifically choose marijuana. It yeah, was it always... Really, yeah. Yeah, that was always their drug of choice. Or and I, I kind of reverse engineered that because I would 
people would come in, you know, with a with the specific um, drug of choice, and then I would then I would notice, oh, they their real issue is this, and and so then it got to the point where I would know automatically without even looking at a chart or with, and sometimes I could even just look at somebody and know, like, okay. Mm-hmm. They they've got you know they've got anger rage they've their drug of choice is marijuana before I would even talk to them and so yeah it was, and it was it was like a big aha moment for me when I understood that because I couldn't understand you know I'd been so pure and living this like nun monked out life and um, and here I was in enmeshed in, in rage and smoking pot. Like it, it's like I had the pendulum had swung so mm. far off and I was having to navigate. And in my meditation, um, I realized that, okay, this is because of the, you know, it became obvious. Okay. I smoke because of the anger and I've always smoked because of the anger. Okay. Well, now that I know that, how do I deal with the anger? So I just started taking the anger to my meditation room and I was like, okay, um, instead of smoking, I'm going to sit until I get to the core of the anger. And then I took another whole year. Every day I meditated on unwinding the anger. And sometimes it would take hours. You know, I would just sit there and ball and thrash around on my temple floor (laughs) trying to like get to what was making me so angry and finally um yeah after like um a year of that I Mm. I was able to not feel like I felt like I had unwound so much of it and then it was about and then another year after that I was kind of reconciling recon what's the word? Recon- reconciling, <laughs> reconciling, oh, with, yeah, reconciling with my ex-husband. Mm. Um, and we started healing verbally. Like I finally was able to talk to him about it. And oh. then, um, and then I got jaundice and that was sort of like, okay, now it's complete. So that the whole thing cleanse. was like a four year oh. purging, purging from the initiation, from the dark night to the initiation and the whole, um, year of seeing red and the Kali and then the purifying and unwinding. And, and now, uh, well, since that time I did that long meditation after that year, I, I don't have any desire for pot. Like it's not something, it's still the thing. Like if I were to do anything and like have a drink or whatever, I would prefer pot, but I don't gravitate towards it and I never need it again. Mm-hmm. Well, you dealt with the, the real I issue. Dealt, I finally dealt with the anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You really dealt with it. You really, really dealt with it. Uh. Yeah. I think when we're in something and it's so bad and we think we're like going to die, I thought I was going to die multiple times. I thought I was going to die of a broken heart. I thought I was going to die of my grief. I thought I was going to die of my anger um, my loneliness. I just, I went dark for a good year living in India and Mm -hmm. I really didn't see any hope. It, it was, it was guttural, you know, and I was 
behaving in ways I didn't even know who I was anymore. Like I thought, what has happened to me? India has, you know, like regurgitated inside me into something that I can't, I can't process. And then from that, my greatest strength, like I'm so strong because of that experience, having had to live through that level of feeling betrayed and enraged and alone and in a foreign country. And, um, you know, I didn't share how, you know, I got so confused about my husband. I didn't trust him anymore that I withdrew all my money from the bank stored, stored it in my closet. (laughs) And, um, because the banks wouldn't put it in my name because I was technically owned by him. So I was enraged. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wasn't a normal money you brought from the United States. All of my life savings was in a joint account. I could only be on a joint account. I couldn't have my own. Women aren't allowed to have their own money. Well, it was mainly because I was a foreigner, um, like I was married to him, and my papers weren't um, completed. My documentation of being a permanent resident wasn't completed, so the banks would not give me an account without his name. And in fact, I couldn't have anything without his name on it. So even though I had left him, I had no rights, no rights whatsoever. And I couldn't even divorce him because if I divorced him, I would have been deported immediately. And I didn't have a life in the U.S. anymore. Everything was in India. So I was fighting not only, you know, my own oppression, but the oppression of the whole country and of the women there. And, you know, all the female feticide is still commonly practiced in India. Like they don't want girls. They'll kill their babies if they're girls because they want a boy. It's very, very common. And so is like, you know, honor, honor killings happen every day. I mean, every time you open the, the newspaper, it's another honor killing in the village where the young girl was seen with a boy holding hands or kissing or out after curfew and they'll kill her because the family will be shamed by her, you know, scandalous ways. Or um, if a girl falls in love with a guy who's below the cast of her family, they will kill the daughter um, in honor of the family's name. It's bad. And so I was Mm. living in that old world where Even though I had done all this spiritual work, I was being being treated like an outcast. And yet on one level, I would work with the gurus. And I mean, one time there were 60,000 people. They brought me on stage and they're like bowing to me. Imagine 60,000 people. It's like a sea of heads. And they've got you on this big screen going out and I'm talking to all of them and they treat me like a god. And then I go back to my neighborhood where I lived and nobody there knows that I do that spiritual work. And um, and they're basically like wanting to stone me or kill me because they think I'm so scandalous living without a man. Oh, wow. So it, it was just like this. It was a dark. I can't time, imagine. But it strengthened me in a way that has... Um, it, it's helped me like embrace the totality of myself, of my human nature, of 
I don't know. I feel like I had to digest lifetimes upon lifetimes of my incarnations um, in a few short years. And I think sometimes, you know, when we go through dark nights of the soul, especially those who've had a spiritual awakening and then the dark night comes. So when the pendulum swings from like Buddhahood to absolute hell, Mm. um, it's because you're being chiseled. You know, these are huge initiations for learning how to overcome like the, the self-limitations in, in the psyche <sighs> and the way that we trap ourselves in the illusion of pain and suffering. And so oh, I had man. to like fight my way through um, to come to this place where it's, you know, still stuff happens to me, but it's my foundation is so strong because of these intense experiences that I've let, you know, like go through fire. Oh, I, I love it that you said that because I've so often thought that I was maybe a better person or I had it all together or something in my twenties. And it, it was kind of like I had Buddhahood then. And then, mm-hmm. and then, Oh boy, did I get, ho ho yeah and then it was just you know face down in the stampede for yes. years and i was and and i still i still until this moment until you said that 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 you know if, if you're at a certain level or you have a a certain you've had an awakening and then you get slammed it's it's so much almost harder or something. I don't know. I, I, but I, until you said that, I never pieced that together. I thought that I just did something severely wrong and there must be something really wrong with me to have known. Oh, I, I thought that too. <laughs> that means you're on the brink of a big breakthrough because every time this has happened, cause it hasn't only happened that one time. I mean, that was like um, 10 years ago or something. I've had, now they happen in shorter cycles, um, but I know the cycle so well. Like I, the cycle, I have really mapped out that dark night of the soul cycle. There's an awakening, there's an aha, there's a massive download, and then there's a whole tumbling, spiraling, hall of mirrors illusion of hell oh, <laughs> until oh you realize that it's an illusion and you find that zero point in the center and you kind of like pop your way through in a state of transcendence and laughter at the cosmic joke of how dramatic you made it all. Because <laughs> then when you pop out, you're like, God, what a fun ride. <laughs> you know, it's like being on a roller coaster at the amusement park. You know, it's like <laughs> the horror show, the haunted. Uh, right? But when you're in it, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sneak out. Uh, and, then you sit out and you're like, what a ride. I want to do it again. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! I want to do that again. (laughs) I'm like, at first I had the chills with everything you just said. Then I'm like over here laughing and slapping my leg. I hope that didn't. I don't know if you can hear that, but oh, oh my goodness, yes! Because when I popped out, I thought, oh, oh, I, I, I thought I was in a prison all those years. I wasn't. You're just in your mental torture, like yeah. Yeah, it, and it was so easy. Go through that chiseling. You know how? What's it called when they like um, that inferno when they burn the 
the alchemists burned the liquid gold or whatever. What's, what's the word? Not the inferno, but they put it, the cauldron thing. Anyway, they're melting metal, right? Metal has Mm. to melt and then it takes another shape. They put the mold on it and then it pops Mm -hmm. out in this beautiful new design and it's solid Mm -hmm. again. Well, that's what happens to us. We have to go through that purifying process um, to see the, the shape that we're being molded into and right. it sucks when you're in it, but if you can find the center, find the center, that's why I teach. That's why I do everything I do. You know how many times I've been through those initiations? I can't even count anymore. I mean, why do I call the retreats rebirth and renewal? And, um, mm. you know, I have I master the art of change course and all of that because everyone has to go. This cycle is, is the cycle of life the death and rebirth. And the faster and more comfortable we get with it, the more we become masters of our reality and masters of, of the next cycle. I think that's why we like diamonds so much because diamonds are made from this, from coal, from the just pressure, pressure, coal under pressure. I mean, black, yucky, plain old coal coal under pressure. What? I I mean, really? And then something shiny and beautiful. And what I just ran across that um, quote from Lao Tzu. Mm -hmm. um, And it was something like, uh, oh, what the caterpillar calls the end is what we call a butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's it. Happy trails. I got chills. Yeah. The moment of death is when we actually are emerging. So beautiful. So beautiful. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's why we all need doulas. We do. Yes. Oh, all we should do a, we should do a whole thing on that right there. I have things to say about doulas. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Everyone. Yeah. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you'd like to contact us and stay in touch with us, you can find us at lovesexagenda.com. That's lovesexagenda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, Love Sex and the Hidden Agenda. Yeah.